0: For decades, we've helped Tom's family with parenting, adoption, and what it means to be pro-life. That's
1: just typical of the way Focus on the Family has worked over the years. They just provide very practical, biblically-based things that help people to make the right choice and, and support people in ways that really are necessary.
0: That's why Tom and his wife give monthly, to encourage and equip other families.
1: Focus on the Family is out on the front lines of things that, you know, are necessary in the culture and in, in the community, and we as Christians are called to support God's work in that way.
0: It's just a blessing to us to be a part of it. I'm Jim Daly. I'm inviting you to give monthly so that together we can save even more families. Join our Friends of Focus on the Family team by calling 800 A Family or donate at focusonthefamily.com slash family.
1: Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We
2: hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. The best marriages I've seen are marriages where the two people live for something outside of themselves, and that's the Kingdom of God. They have purpose. They don't let the small stuff become the big stuff. Look, if you're working on a task, if you're seeing people's lives change, these little things that husbands and wives so often fight about, they just don't matter.
1: That's Gary Thomas, and you'll hear more from him today on Focus on the Family, about finding that common purpose with your spouse. Your host is Focus president and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller.
0: Most of us get married because we want to be happy and we want to be loved. It's very normal. Uh, God wants that for us, too, but He also wants so much more for us in our marriages, and that is to spur one another on in our relationship with God. Uh, one reason marriages get stuck is because we want our spouse to, to change, to meet our needs, instead of changing ourselves to meet our spouse's needs. Mm-hmm. And that that is the simple beauty and the truth of marriage, in my opinion. Today, Gary is going to challenge us to take hold of a bigger vision for our marriages and become the husband or wife That our spouse needs. I think that's a bold statement. Um, Here at Focus on the Family, we want to help you thrive in your marriage. We have so many articles, resources, and downloads to help you in your marriage, as well as a team of caring Christian counselors that are available on staff to talk with you and help you walk through whatever situation you may be facing. Yeah,
1: our number, if you'd like to speak with a counselor, is 800, the letter A in the word family. 800 or we've got details at focusonthefamily.com broadcast. We can also tell you about the resources Jim mentioned, uh, and our guest, Gary Thomas, who is a popular author and speaker, and he's been on this program a number of times. Uh, Gary wrote a book called A Lifelong Love, How to Have Lasting Friendship, Intimacy, and Purpose in Your Marriage. And with that, let's go ahead and hear how the conversation got underway on today's episode of Focus on the Family.
0: Gary, let's start right there. It is a pretty uh, veiled selfish act, isn't it? We marry people because they're making us feel so good about ourselves when we're courting.
2: Right. And in one sense, that's understandable, and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. But I look at it like this. That's the whipped cream. Go back to one of my favorite desserts, an ice cream sundae. They didn't start building the ice cream sundae by saying, what can I put under the whipped cream? Or what can I put under a cherry and then under the whipped cream? It starts out with an ice cream sundae is built on ice cream. And I think our happiness and our fulfillment is sort of the whipped cream. But I want to call people back to the ice cream, which I actually think is worship. I think that's the best foundation for a fulfilling life and a fulfilling marriage. So we've taken the whipped cream and made it the main thing. I want to go back to the new substance that we sustain our marriages primarily through worship.
0: Before we really get there, though, you had a kind of a dramatic aha moment in your own marriage. Uh, describe how this revelation came to you. I was praying one time, and it, it was like a two-by-four, gym
2: when I realized I had gotten married for primarily selfish reasons, like the way my wife looked Uh, We laughed together. I thought she would be a good mom. And that's understandable. You've got to make those decisions when you're deciding who to marry. But when I look at the fact that it was getting married because this is what you'll bring to me. And talking to so many couples, nobody has really questioned me. I said, didn't you get married for primarily selfish reasons? You thought you'd have a better life married to this person than not. Or married to this person instead of that person. And when we realize that selfishness is what draws most marriages together, and what I'm going to suggest is that perhaps God designed marriage to attack our selfishness. That's when we realize we need to get on God's page to really go deeper into our marriages and appreciate the fullness of marriage. Otherwise, what happens is we have a great three years while we fulfill our selfish needs and then a frustrating 30 years as we say what happened to what we used to have. Mm.
0: I, you know, I uh, realized that and I'd say only in the last couple of years that idea that that selfish core that what maybe what God did here, and I always say it in a sense of humor, is bringing two opposite people together and then it helps you to work on your selflessness to make us more like him. That's what you're saying, isn't it?
2: Absolutely, when I got married, I thought my greatest need was to be loved. I wanted to find somebody who would always have my back, who would always be there, who would always look well, who would never say a, a hurtful word or do a hurtful thing because I thought that was my greatest need. And when my marriage changed is when I realized that God has already met that need. I'm loved as well as anybody could be loved. I'm loved as well as it's possible to be loved. God has created me. He adores me. He knows me. He has saved me. He has redeemed me. And so my greatest need isn't to be loved any more than somebody who's just pushed back from the Thanksgiving table has the greatest need to be fed. I mean, love is a need and being fed is a need, but when the need has been met, your greatest need is something very different. And for me, I realize now my greatest need is to learn how to love. And I started going through the scriptures and and we could go through dozens of passages. Love extravagantly, love your enemies, your love for each other should be increasing. So many passages where the Bible says your greatest need is to learn how to grow in love. And when I realized my greatest need wasn't to be loved, but to learn how to love, Hmm. then I looked at my days very differently. When I thought my greatest need was to be loved, a good day was when I was noticed, appreciated, cared for, and shown affection. Now, a good day, if I believe my greatest need is to learn how to love, is when I can notice, when I can show affection, when I can serve. So completely change the grid by which I look at my marriage, or what constitutes a good day in marriage.
0: In your book, A Lifelong Love, you talk about something, I love the term, it's magnificent obsession. Right. Uh, it's not a perfume, that's good. <laughs> but what, uh, what do you mean by magnificent obsession?
2: The reality that we are married as two people who stumble in many ways, according to James three two, and that we have a lifelong love addresses, I think, the two biggest challenges of marriage, and that is frustration and boredom. Frustration that we're called to love somebody who stumbles in many ways, not just a few ways, but in many ways, and then boredom just because it's the reality of human condition that, frankly, none of us are so fascinating that we can keep somebody enchanted for five or six decades. And a magnificent obsession lifts our marriage up to another level. It's going back to the ice cream instead of the whipped cream, where the more I have this Matthew 6.33, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, my marriage just has a whole different tenor because now my marriage is connected to worship. And here's what I found. Worship has become more important to me every year that I've lived. Uh, it becomes a part of who I am. I I see God's glory. I think the more you begin to taste and see God, the more you want of him. The more you realize he's even more beautiful than you imagined 10 years ago, and even yet more inviting. And so when my love to my wife is connected to something that's growing, i.e. worship of God, then my love for my wife grows. Hmm. Now, the part about boredom is just as simple. When Jesus says, seek first his kingdom... You can't be satisfied with a selfish life because we were created for more than that. If I got married for somebody to fulfill me, that's even going to get boring. Even if they're fulfilling me, it's going to get boring. The way our brains operate, we just want something new. But if we're joined together to seek first God's kingdom and we're seeing God use us and that's what we were made for, there's no boredom in that. That's as exciting as a marriage can get. Because if you accomplish the aim that God gave you, He's got a hundred other things he's doing. He's such an active God. He's such a loving God. The best marriages I've seen are marriages where the two people live for something outside of themselves, Mm -hmm. and that's the kingdom of God. They have purpose. They don't let the small stuff become the big stuff. Look, if you're working on a task, if you're seeing people's lives change, these little things that husbands and wives so often fight about, they just don't matter Mm. so
0: much. Uh, Gary, we've got to connect some of these dots because you you, really—you put so much out there in just a few minutes. But uh, for that person that doesn't understand that worship connection, uh, you need to describe that. In terms of practical application. Uh, There have been times I know, especially in my 20s and 30s, when I just felt down and experienced that kind of worship and it brought my joy up, it brought my hope up. Um, You know, the Lord met me there in that point of need. Um, Is that what you're talking about, but to do it as a couple? What do you mean by worship in order to make your marriage healthy? There was a moment in
2: my marriage when I was not acting well as a husband, and I went to prayer, and God himself was convicting me. Brought to mind 1 John 3.1, how great the love of the Father is for us that we should be called children of God. And when I realized that Lisa wasn't just my wife, but she was his daughter, that that's how he looks at her, and that's how he loves her, and that's who I was married to, from that moment on, everything about my marriage began to change. Now, having two daughters knowing how the greatest desire of my heart would be that they are loved well, knowing that I'm fully aware of how they stumble in many ways, the attitudes they can have, the actions that could be trying. If I saw a future son-in-law loving them in the midst of their faults, in the midst of their attitudes, literally nothing would please me more. There's Mm. nothing they could do for me more than to love my girls because they'll always be my little girls. And for me, when I realize how much God has given me, that I owe him not only my life, but my new birth, my vision, my purpose, the grace that I live in so that I can look in the mirror, even in the midst of all I've done. And then God says to me, and Gary, what I want you to do is love my little girl like I've loved you. How can I say no? I'm loving her out of
0: reverence for God. And it changes your perspective. I mean, that's what you're saying. It it changes the way that you view that relationship, doesn't it? It Profoundly.
2: I I lost my earthly father-in-law, and it was a terrible, long, drawn-out ordeal. He died of, of cancer, which can be a terrible death. But the one thing cancer can give you, if I could put it this way, is you know it's coming And you can have those conversations as opposed to an immediate heart attack or stroke. And so we would have conversations as the day was drawing near. And one I'll never forget is actually a conversation we ended up having on the day he died. But before that, he was talking about the rehearsal dinner that Lisa and I had had. Bill wasn't a particularly sensitive guy. He didn't cry a lot. But he broke down weeping at our rehearsal dinner. Mm. And I had never seen him cry before that or really much after that. And so I was asking him about that. And he said, Gary, when I looked at you standing next to Lisa at that dinner, I said to myself, I don't have to worry about Lisa. Hmm. She's going to be okay. Hmm. She's found a man that's going to stand by her. And so when Bill asked to speak with me on the day he died, he, he literally asked me to pray that he could go home that day. He was just tired of fighting it. I just reminded him of that conversation because I know, as he knew, his eternal destiny was secure in Christ. If I was leaving that day to go with, be with Jesus, my one concern would be the family I'm leaving behind. Mm. I reminded him, I said, Bill, you don't have to worry about Lisa. I'm going to take care of her. I'm going to love her. I'm going to make sure she's okay. And realizing that that's how God looks at the wives that we married as his daughters. And women, that's how God looks at your husbands who are his sons, just as you so want your sons to be loved, not just in a stingy way, but generously That's how God wants your husbands to be loved, through you. And so when we worship a God who is perfect, we're motivated to love a spouse who's imperfect out of reverence for the perfect God. This Focus
1: on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment.
3: Your marriage can be redeemed, even if the fights seem constant, even if there's been an affair, even if you haven't felt close in years. No matter how deep the wounds are, you can take a step toward healing them with a hope-restored marriage intensive. Our biblically-based counseling will help you find the root of your problems and face challenges together. We'll talk with you, pray with you, and help you find out which program will work best. Call us at 1-866-875-2915. What's the best thing you could leave behind? I don't know. Habits, maybe. I'd like to leave behind broccoli. One of the best things you could leave behind is a legacy. Focus on the Family invites you to leave a legacy gift in your estate plan. It can reduce the burden of taxes on your family, and it will make a better legacy for families around the world. To find out more or to notify us of a legacy gift, just visit FocusPlannedGiving.com. That's FocusPlannedGiving.com.
1: Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's
0: programming. Speak to that person who doesn't know how to get unstuck. I mean, maybe he or she, they are bored. They are hitting that point in their marriage where it doesn't seem to have the romance and the zip and, you know, just the emotional connection anymore. Working hard, Maybe they're trying to save money. They just bought a house. Whatever it might be, it just seems now to be the grind of life. Mm -hmm. Um, How do they lift their heads up and have their epiphany moment to say, we could be living for so much more?
2: What has helped me is to realize that even if I stop caring about my marriage, God cares about my marriage because God cares so much about who I'm married to. And so it's recognizing how dear my wife is To God. And you might be married to this common woman or this common man, and you see them in their most common moments when they get out of bed and when they're tired at the end of the day. But when you realize how dear they are to God, and it's fine to say, Lord, I need to recapture your heart for this person. I need to recapture your wonder for this person. And God will help us do that when we understand God's role, not just as our heavenly father but as a heavenly father in law, mm-hmm. because that's
0: what he is. Hey, Gary, you talked in your book about the prosecuting attorney, you know, in relationships. Man, that, that resonated, because so often couples, and I do it too, you get into discussions with your spouse, and you do. You turn into the prosecuting attorney. What did you do? Why did you do it? How much did you spend? I mean, there's so many ways to fill in the blank there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Again, it seems so natural to our flesh to fall into that. And I would say some people would probably say sometimes it's practical. You have to have those discussions. How could you spend that much money on X? But um, you're saying refrain from doing that. Become the defense attorney. Talk about that. I I preached a sermon out at Second Baptist Romans
2: 8.31. If God be for us, who can be against us? And my goal in marriage is that I be as for my spouse as God is for me. And God is for me in the midst of my sin. Now, he hates my sin. He wants the sin to stop. But there is never a moment when he stops being for me. Mm. He's a healing physician, not a prosecuting attorney. And so he's trying to woo me away from my sin. He's convicting me in my sin. He's saying, I don't want that for you. It will destroy you. It will destroy your relationships. But he does it because he's for me, not because of what it does to him or for him. And so in the midst of my wife's struggles or in the midst of my kids' struggles, it's how can I show you that I'm for you here? That I'm not looking at this as how it aggrieves me or how it inconveniences me or how it embarrasses me, but because I want the best for you as God wants the best for me. And again, the only way I can get that is when I'm going to prayer and God forgives me and when I'm loved by God, I see how he loves me, which is why you know, 1 John four nineteen we love. Why? Because he first loved us. And when I realize I have to bathe myself in God's love, if I'm scrimping on worship, I become a much more demanding husband mm. because I'm not then living in the magnificent obsession. I'm like... Look, I'm not getting what I need from God, so you've got to start filling it up. And then it's like, how do I fix my wife instead of how do I love my wife?
0: How do we close that gap, though? I mean, you're describing something that within Christendom particularly, uh, there is what we want to be, and then there's reality when it comes to our Christian expression. okay. But how do I get out of this rut? How do I not behave the way my flesh causes me to behave and behave in a different way? Yeah.
2: One, we have to be reminded of some of the same truths. One time, uh, look, my wife and I have an agreement. When I give a marriage anecdote, I'm the bad guy. <laughs> I mean, I, I would hate being married to a Christian writer speaker because <laughs> all your private stuff becomes public. Mm. So usually when I give an analogy, it's I'm the bad guy. But there's one time when I was just frustrated with what my wife was doing. I, I could hear God's voice so clearly. This is how your wife stumbles. Mm. And... I teach this. I preach on it. Just about every weekend, James 3, 2, we all stumble in many ways. And God was saying, look, do you really believe this? I mean, you say you know it, and then your wife stumbles, and you're like, why can't I have a perfect wife? And I would just say, look into your heart. Don't you kind of resent the fact that your spouse isn't perfect? Most of us do. But if we accept the scriptural reality that we stumble in many ways and our spouse stumbles in many ways, it was helpful for me to say, okay, this is how my wife stumbles. So how do I help love her in the midst of that? Not denying it, but being sort of a healing presence in the midst of it. Hmm. And I think that's where love is built. I mean, love is built in understanding. Understanding isn't blind this is where we're weak. One of the healthiest men I know, he's really one of my best friends. He's just so matter of fact. He goes, yeah, that's why I'm too harsh and that's why you're too passive. You know, he just, (laughs) he just throws that down. He didn't sugarcoat it and that's why I still respect you. It's just, look, I I know you're too passive but he loves me and I respect him for it and I, I think that's where you see real love in a marriage when a husband can say, yeah, this is where my wife stumbles or a wife says, this is where my husband stumbles but, We love them in the midst of it because we know there are no perfect spouses to be found. And so then how do I be your partner in the midst of that? Look, if I catch my now daughter-in-law love and support my son in the midst of his stumbling, she still forgave him. She showed him grace. She lifted him up. She honored him. That would please me as much as anything that she could do. Hmm. And that's what I'm saying that we're called to do for our own spouses. God looks at our spouses as his children, and that's really one of the best ways to honor him, to worship him, to serve him, is to take care of his children. Nothing is dearer to God's heart than his children, and we get the pleasure of being married to those
0: children. To be able to do that, though, Gary, uh, it's helpful to understand what's causing us to be so quick to write a ticket for our spouse. I mean, why are we so quick to write a ticket when we're not happy with an action or a statement Mm -hmm. or a purchase or whatever it might be? We're quick with the ticket book.
2: Why? It goes back to, I believe, what we said earlier, that we think our greatest need is to be loved instead of to learn how to love. And when our spouse does something, we feel like, that's not what I signed up for. You're supposed to be fulfilling me. You're supposed to be making me happy. If that's why i got married and it's not happening then i'm frustrated if i get married thinking my greatest need is to be loved and i'm not being loved if my wife is having a bad day if she's tired if she's depressed if she's sick i might even resent it Mm. and where this will cut so deeply for some of the listeners where it will seem so pie in the sky is that jesus just looks at our needs and our life so radically differently than we do But here's the thing. You can't dress up selfishness. You can't put a good coat on pride and say it looks attractive. Jesus wants to crucify our selfishness. He wants to crucify our pride. Until we want to crucify our selfishness and pride, we'll resent when marriage puts a spotlight on it rather than grow in the midst of that. Mm. In addition, recognizing our spouse stumbles in many ways. Uh, The second question we need to ask is, why is my spouse the way they are? (laughs) one woman one time was so frustrated with her husband the way he was acting and she just went into prayer with that and at first her prayers were lord why does he do this why is he that why is he this and she just finally when she got to the end of her question she got to the beginning of god's Hmm. and she was blown away when god said have you ever asked yourself why he's this way and she went back over his history, his recent history, how when they got married, his mom died soon thereafter. How he was in a successful business and his partners made some bad decisions that left him penniless and starting over. And he was so humiliated, he even had to move at middle age back into his dad's house. And and all of the things that happened and then she became disabled and she couldn't help with the family budget and whatnot. And then all of a sudden she said, of course he's acting out of stress, of course he's this, of course he's that. And I think so often that's what we do. We become the prosecuting attorney and God wants us to be the defense attorney where he's saying, have you ever thought why they're acting this way? What led them to think about their parents, think about their upbringing, think about their hurts. Then we become part of the solution rather than laying down a sentence. We can be a healing presence in their life. So we recognize that every spouse stumbles in many ways. This is how my spouse stumbles. And then I have to ask, why does my spouse stumble this way? So that I can have the compassion and empathy rather than resentment and frustration.
0: Well, in what we're hearing is that heart. You have a heart. The Lord has opened these perspectives to you. Um, you know, there's a couple of other concepts out of your book, A Lifelong Love. I'd like to cover one, which I think is funny, a monk's marriage. And I'll leave that there for next time because I want you to come back next time to find out with me what a monk's marriage analogy is all about. I'm intrigued by that. I didn't know monks could be married. How about you, John? (laughs) Well, could be those. (laughs) (laughs) And then also the the effect of the Holy Spirit in our lives, particularly in this area of marriage and how we need to lean into the Holy Spirit. Um, So let's come back. Can we do that, Gary? Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. Come back and uh, talk about those concepts next time.
1: It's always enjoyable having Gary Thomas in the studio with us, and if you've been inspired by the conversation to work on your relationship, uh, both with God and your spouse, then we're going to suggest you pick up a copy of A Lifelong Love, which weaves together historical understandings of marriage as well as Scripture and some
0: real wisdom applied to
1: relationships.
0: And John, let me uh, illuminate for all of us uh, you know—that that great group of people that are helping to pay for everything we have about six million listeners a week so think of a given week of focus on the family broadcast out of that group roughly about thirty-eight hundred will donate to focus mm-hmm. and i'm i'm just trying to uh, bring this to the surface because that's a big burden on a relatively small number of the listenership And that's about half of 1%. I would love to ask for those who may listen regularly, and that's good. We love that. And hopefully we're providing you with terrific content to apply to your marriage, to your parenting. But if you could help us, if we could move that number to 1% of the listenership, actually financially helping Focus, that would be tremendous for this ministry. The best way to do that is a monthly pledge. That's how Gene and I support the ministry, John and Dana, that's how well. you do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just evens out the cash flow for Focus, and we know how to budget and plan for the months ahead. If you're in a position to do that, we would encourage you to be part of the ministry. The Lord sees the big picture. And if you can't afford it and a one-time gift is what you can do, that would be great too. And if you're in such a place that you just can't, we love you, we respect you, but I hope we could move that to 1%. Would that be awesome? That would be tremendous and uh, we'd love to hear from you today.
1: Uh, donate when you call 800 the letter A and the word family. 800 232 6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast.
0: And John, like we often do, if you can do that, uh, if you can join us in ministry, we'll send you a copy of Gary Thomas's wonderful book, A Lifelong Love, as our way of saying thank you for being part of the ministry. And uh, we'll have more from
1: Gary Thomas next time, uh, describing how you can put God at the center of your marriage. For now, on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned.
0: Hey, it's Jim Daly here. Just so you know, it's time, time for a challenge, time to not only be a Christian, but live your faith. Bring Your Bible to School Day is the next Live It Challenge on October 5th. Nationwide, kids will team up to share the gospel at their schools. To learn more or register your children for the first time, visit bringyourbible.com. His word gives us confidence. So let's live it up, bringyourbible.com. You need forgiveness. You need grace. You need fun. You need recreation. You need
2: more times. To not do that is reckless. To not do that is to virtually guarantee that you'll come to that point where we don't really know each other anymore. We don't even really like each other because we're just doing these tasks and they're not fun.
1: You'll hear more from Gary Thomas today on Focus on the Family about strengthening your relationship with your spouse. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly.
0: Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. Uh, John, last time Gary gave a powerful reminder what the primary role of marriage is. Um, Some days you probably ask yourself, what is marriage all about? It is to become selfless and more like Christ. And uh, you know what? That's really hard to do. But it is what God is calling us toward. Uh, He also encouraged us to pursue a godly obsession That is a godly vision for what we should do in our marriages. So if your marriage is a bit stuck or you need some tune-up, I think today's program is going to be just what you need to help you cast that vision for your marriage. Uh, Remember, here at Focus on the Family, we want to see you thrive in your marriage relationship and to be strengthened daily by the advice and the resources that we offer. That's why we're this kind of program. So if you're struggling in your marriage, I hope you'll call. Don't feel embarrassed. Uh, We're here for you. We would love to give you advice and walk alongside you in your marriage. Well, we certainly would, and
1: we have a team of Christian counselors available if you need to speak with one of them. Uh, We're a phone call away. It's 800-the-letter-A-and-the-word family. 800-232-6459. Gary Thomas is an excellent author and speaker, and we love interacting with him in the studio. And last time, Gary shared insights from his book, A Lifelong Love, How to Have Lasting Friendship, Intimacy, and Purpose in Your Marriage. Learn more about Gary and that book at focusonthefamily.com broadcast. And now, part two of our conversation
2: with Gary Thomas.
0: Hey, Gary, welcome back to Focus on the Family. Thanks. I always love being here. Hey, starting to feel like home. Uh, we left off last time wanting to talk about a monk's marriage. Now <laughs> that I was laughing last time, I'm laughing today. Uh, what is the analogy about a monk's marriage that applies here? Yeah.
2: My wife and I were, were spoiled one year with some friends. They took us to France. And on that trip, we were touring a 12th century castle with a real live duke there, a guy well into his 80s. He fell in love with Lisa, which is easy to do. Lisa's fun. She's the last born. She's the extrovert. He wouldn't normally do a tour, but he took us all over his place, and it was fun. He and his wife were arguing. He still wants a moat. His wife doesn't <laughs> want the mosquitoes. I mean, you just... And he's just 80. See, yeah, I know. You see, this delightful... You knew that she won that debate. There ne- there's <laughs> never going to be a moat around that castle as long as she lives. But we were up in the chapel, and then he just turns to Lisa and says, uh, would you like to see my ancestors? He's like, Sure. He opens up this lid, and there are all these bones. Oh my goodness! <laughs> no, and and he got a laugh as as Lisa jumped or whatnot. But <laughs> just being there, and we we're talking about the French Revolution. There was evidence on the castle of where it had been attacked during the French Revolution, because I didn't realize at the time how much absolute control a duke had. A duke could have somebody killed. And there was no recourse. There was no court to appeal to. If the duke said you must die or you must be a slave, or you must do that. The duke, and, and so people wanted to throw off that tyranny. They said that is too much power in the hands of one man. And that helped me understand a, a psalm very differently. Psalm 146.3 says this, do not trust in princes in mortal men in whom there is no salvation. Now we read that in the 21st century in a democracy and well why would I trust in a prince? They can raise my taxes but we don't think of it in the context when a prince literally could mean your life or your death. And so when the psalmist says don't trust in that prince in that day it was so radical because he had such enormous power. And I think when we apply that to marriage, what happens is that we give so much power to our spouse. We trust them for our happiness. We trust them to fulfill us. We trust them to serve us. And the scripture would say, don't put that much trust in somebody who can disappoint you in a mortal man or in a mortal woman. Your help, your salvation comes from the Lord. Now, we know that, but we say, well, not in marriage, not my emotions, not my fulfillment, not my happiness. That should come from my spouse. And so amongst marriage is the radical call that we recognize we get our primary fulfillment from God. I love to read from other Christian traditions and I love to read our brothers and sisters from the Eastern Orthodox Church. And one of their classical spiritual writings is called the Philokalia. I'm not sure if you pronounce that right. I've got that sitting I, I, I'm, on my nightstand. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I do. Wow. But but what I love is they raise other issues because if you read it as, as you've read it, Jim, they are obsessed with lust, not. Sexual lust, as I think of it, but the lust of praise, Mm. the lust of being noticed, the lust of being appreciated. Most of us as evangelicals, the tradition I grew up in, we don't really think about that as a lust, not on par with a lust for money or gluttony or a lust for sensual pleasure. And I thought how so many marriages, when they're in the pastoral office He doesn't notice me enough. She doesn't give me enough affection. How each spouse has given so much power to the other spouse and then resents it when they don't get what they want. Mm. And so um, amongst marriage recognizes that if I don't have expectations about my spouse making me happy or serving me or fulfilling me, now I can appreciate what she does give me instead of resent what she doesn't
0: make it practical. Let's think of the woman who is struggling. How does she turn that corner, though, Gary? How Mm -hmm. does she say, okay, I have viewed my husband as mean-spirited, as not uh, someone capable of meeting these needs emotionally for me. He hasn't done it for 10 years. How does she say, okay, I'm hearing what you're saying. How do I now... Flip a switch and say, I'm going to seek God for that. What steps can she take to make that happen? I know,
2: again, it sounds too spiritual and too religious when I say this all comes back to worship. But let me put this in a different context, and I think it might bring some conviction. What is a Christian forced out of Iraq supposed to say, when they've lost everything they've owned and they're fleeing their lives. They literally have nothing. They don't know where the next meal is going to come from their family. Everything they have has been taken away. What does a spouse say whose partner has come down with Alzheimer's, who most days doesn't even recognizes them, who can't get anything from their spouse? At those moments when life is so destitute, whether because of history or because of health, Are we supposed to say that that marriage doesn't mean much? But where faith is shown is when we have, I think a biblical truth that one spouse told me. She talked about how frustrated she was in her husband, but this verse that lifted her up, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. And she realized that's absolute. If God is my Lord, I'm blessed. And I have to recognize that if everything else in my life goes wrong, if I'm destitute, if I'm hungry, if I'm terminally ill, I'm blessed because God is my Lord. Now, I know that sounds like I'm avoiding the issue. It's painful if you're suddenly homeless because of political chaos in your country. It is painful if someone you've loved for 50 or 60 years doesn't even remember your name. But you know what? That's real life. And so if it's a lesser degree that you have a spouse who, for instance, will fix things around the house, but is never going to have a serious emotional conversation with you, or you have a wife that is, is happy to give you a back rub, but maybe doesn't show quite the amount of affection you would like to have. I think it comes back to how do I cherish what I have instead of focus on what I don't. That's what I think
0: leads to joy, hey, Gary, in your book, a lifelong love, you you talk about artificial intimacy. To me, when I observe the culture, I feel like there's a lot of artificial intimacy. Hmm. Um, what defines artificial intimacy, and by default, then, true intimacy?
2: Artificial intimacy begins with infatuation. Infatuation isn't based on reality. you're You're literally relating to someone that doesn't exist. You're giving them strengths they don't have, you're missing weaknesses that they really do have, but infatuation is so powerful it binds the two of you together, but it's not real. Love is based in understanding. The last thing infatuation is based on is understanding. Infatuation is based on fascination. So what happens is a couple is infatuated, that's what's binding them together, And we know about 12 to 18 months, that infatuation is going to begin to fade, which is about the time a lot of couples will then start to plan a wedding. Well, that's something that keeps them together. It's something that they talk about. I've known couples, that's what they talk about for a year. It's a 30-minute ceremony often and a maybe two-hour reception, but that keeps them going for years. They're making discussions. They're doing all of that. And then they go from planning the wedding to setting up a new home together. And again, that's a little bit of artificial intimacy, uh, where are we going to put the garbage can, left-hand side of the sink or the right-hand side? Where's our new coffee shop? What kind of pictures are we going to put up? And then that starts to get old. But about that time, kids often come along. Oh, well, There's a lot of intimacy there. You're building kids together. You, you go to childbirth classes. You share the birth of your first child. You set up the nursery. And then you have the more issues of how do we raise toddlers and now they're teens and, and how are we doing that? But the whole time, you've really been teammates, You haven't been intimate soul partners. You're not sharing. You're doing these tasks. And the problem that you see, and and therapists will say this, that the empty nest divorce rate has gone through the roof now. Because what happens is a couple hasn't built intimacy. They've had shared tasks like teammates. And what do teammates do when the season is over? They go back to their own homes. And so, this call in a lifelong love is to help couples build real intimacy instead of just sharing tasks, sharing hearts, sharing souls, so they have a lifelong love, not just a lifelong partnership, not just a lifelong teamsmanship, but really growing through those stages of life to be more invested in each other, know each other better, more committed to each other, and cherishing each other more.
0: What are the things uh, a couple can do that you're speaking to their heart right now, Gary? They are living that. They have the teens, and they're going, we don't have intimacy. I long for that, but I also have a big to-do list. Mm -hmm. Um, But I want that for my husband and me, or vice versa how do they take a a step or two in that direction? What do they need to do to say, tonight it changes or tomorrow morning it changes?
2: The good news for those couples who are frustrated at that point in their relationship is a good marriage isn't something you find, it's something you make. And you can remake it. What happens when you have artificial intimacy, people say, well, we've never built the relationship and, and it's not working, so we need to find someone else. And to these couples, I'd say, you know what, you don't even really know what it'd be like to be truly married to each other. You've been teammates. Why don't you try real marriage an intermingling of souls and see how that feels before you just divorce, becoming infatuated with someone else, marrying someone else, setting up a new home, and, and just going through a process. I've told couples because I've, it's almost a cliche to me now, married maybe 13 to 17 years, they're at that stage where they just realize You know what? We just don't really have anything together. And what I'm saying is you can build something together.
0: And more importantly, God's heart is for you as a couple. He has something for you and wants you to discover that and to live that out, right? right?
2: An intimate marriage requires an intentional pursuit of each other. Many couples would never think of being reckless with their money You know, they're saving up, they're stacking dollar bill after dollar bill. Now, that can be a responsible thing to do, but they're being reckless with their relationship. They think their marriage can exist on an infatuation that was there 15 years ago. While they never take time to date, they never take time to get away, they never take time to be together. They don't build intimacy apart from their kids, keeping the house running, setting up a home. And I call that reckless with your relationship. A relationship has to be fed. Here's the analogy I use at the, at the start of a lifelong love. Too many couples I find view marriage like you're planting a tree. When you first plant a sapling, you stake it, you fertilize it, you water it, because you know it's vulnerable and it needs a lot of care and attention. After three or four or five years, that tree is solid, the roots are down, and it just finishes itself. It just grows. I don't think that's the picture of a marriage. I think marriage is more like building a brick house. And you build that thing brick by brick. And if you stop at 80%, the house doesn't finish itself. In fact, it's going to deteriorate because you haven't built the roof. A house needs to be maintained. And that's what a relationship is like between a husband and a wife. You have to build it. You have to maintain it. You have to repair it. You need forgiveness. You need grace. You need fun. You need recreation. You need more times. To not do that is reckless. To not do that is to virtually guarantee that you'll come to that point where we don't really know each other anymore. We don't even really like each other because we're just doing these tasks and they're not fun.
1: This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment.
2: Hey, this is Lisa Anderson. If I've learned
3: one thing hosting The Boundless Show, it's that young adults need community. The Boundless Show covers everything they care about, faith, dating, job stuff, basically how to live in this crazy world. Plus, it can be a great way for parents and
2: grandparents to understand what's really going on. Find The Boundless Show wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and find a way to share it with your young adult, but still make it sound like their idea. Good luck.
1: Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming.
0: You said a few things there that I've gleaned would be good next steps for a couple that find themselves in that rut, in that moment. Uh, To do a date night, to do uh, things together, to have fun together, to take vacation together, uh, apart from the kids. And a lot of moms, um, you know, that's hard for them. They're not separating properly and saying, okay, my sister can take the kids for that weekend. But these are things you need to invest in so that your marriage will survive.
2: I I tweeted out one time, a 30 second kiss, a 30 minute talk and a three minute prayer, less than 34 minutes total. If you do that, you'll go to bed, a much closer couple. Say it again. A 30 minute talk, a 30 second kiss and a three minute prayer. It's not that much of an investment. If you just do that though on a daily basis, It's amazing the intimacy that will begin to build. And so I think that's a daily thing you can do. And then I think on a weekly basis, you need a couple hours alone together. And then I think on a yearly basis, you need some days away together. And again, some people will say that's not reasonable. It's not financially possible. I would rather you be a little financially reckless by getting some days away than being relationally reckless because ultimately I think your kids will be happier if your relationship of marriage is feeding the family rather than the destruction of your marriage is destroying their childhood. Mm. Now, I'm not saying to be completely reckless financially, but we're so worried about how much this costs financially, we're not asking how much this costs relationally. And so it is setting up priorities. But I think if you're honest, you need about that 35-minute investment every day. You need a couple hours investment every week. And I think you need at least a few days of investment
0: every year. Hey, Gary, uh, couples are struggling. It could be a man or a woman. They want to put something into action right now. You've hit them with the two-by-four. This is their moment. Okay. But they need to know, what do I do next to make this a reality?
2: couple things. Some will sound very practical, some will sound very spiritual, but you put them together. I think it's a fairly decent recipe for relational intimacy in marriage. First thing is, if you want to increase the level of intimacy, increase the level of honesty. We've got to stop with the secrets. We hold things back rather than recognizing that we're fallen people who need to be saved by God's grace and transformed by God's grace. We hide from each other. And, and you can't grow in intimacy with someone you're, you're hiding from. Mm. I had an episode when uh, my son's fiance was still his fiance before she was his wife. We met him for dinner at a restaurant in Houston. I was coming from work. My wife was coming from home. It was in November, one of the few cold nights in, <laughs> in, in Houston. And my son and his soon to be wife was there. And then I was there and Lisa came in late and then she scooched right up and just kind of grabbed my arm and squeezed in. And, and I said, "Ooh, are you cold? And Lisa said, no, I haven't seen him all day. I just, I just really miss him. I was like, oh. And here's the thing. I felt like a king because here's my wife at the end of the day saying, I can't wait to get back together with Gary. If I was living a life of deception, I would feel threatened by that act rather than feeling that as an intimate act. I'd be thinking she loves me because she doesn't know about X. She respects me because she has not found out about Y or Z. So if I want that sense of how somebody who knows me best still likes me, I've got to increase my intimacy with her. And one of the most healing things for me as a very insecure guy is that here's a woman who knows me better than anyone else, knows my stuff, and she still loves me, and all of that would be lost if we were living a life of deception. So honesty, just be more honest with each other. That's what keeps us from hiding from each other. We're afraid that they'll find out rather than they'll accept us. The second thing spiritually, is what I call a blessing mentality. There are two things. When you come to any argument, some will say, how do I get my own way or how can I bless you? And And we know through Genesis that we are blessed to be a blessing as Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. If I take every attitude in marriage, how can I bless my wife through this? We disagree about this. What is the best way to bless her? Now, blessing doesn't always mean giving in. Blessing means what is the best thing for them in Christ? That may mean standing up, but it means, how do I bless them? There's just something about always wanting to bless someone that changes every argument, that changes every decision, that I think creates a level of intimacy. Because when I'm more invested in someone, the more I value it. Just like if you pay for something with your own money, you take better care of it. And I think that's how we sort of pay for our relationship. We have this blessing mentality. The third thing is what I call killing spiders, I don't have a thing against spiders, but my wife hates them. <laughs> I, I think spiders mm. could be a good thing. I've heard they eat some insects that, that, that you kind of want them. But I knew when I married Lisa, she doesn't want a spider. She doesn't want to wake up and see a spider. If I see a spider in our house, it's dead. Because I'm committed to Lisa, I kill spiders. You're
0: a warrior. <laughs> <laughs> <I am. laughs> but see,
2: every every relationship has those spiders. Things that might not even be morally objectionable, but you have to kill out of respect and love and devotion for your spouse. If Lisa's dad had been an alcoholic, he surely wasn't. But if he had been, although I don't have a moral issue thinking all alcohol use is wrong, I think I would just stay away. That would be a spider I would kill because she would have such painful memories of what alcohol had done to her family. I'd say, it doesn't matter where this is right or wrong. This is threatening to her. Mm. I need to kill this. If we were on a second marriage and her first husband had wrecked their marriage by ignoring her playing his video games. I just, you know what? I'm just not going to go there because every time I pick up a controller, my wife's going to think, oh, here we go again. Now I'm signed up for it. It's just better that I get rid of that. And part of building intimacy is sort of sanding. Like you want to join two things together. You have to sand off the rough edges. I have to find out what are those rough edges that need to be rubbed off of me so that my wife can be more intimate with me. And some of those might be legitimate things, but if I want to be more closely joined with my wife, I have to find out what spiders do I need to kill? And so I just say, have this conversation with your spouse. Use this analogy of spiders. What do I need to kill in my life that's keeping you from feeling close to me, that's keeping you from feeling connected to me? It might not be biblically prohibited, but just as a relational thing, it needs to be sanded off. And then fourth is the attitude of, I was born for this. I love Proverbs 17, 17 that says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. That's even more true in marriage. I'm called to love at all times. I'm to say, when my wife is in adversity, I was born for this. If she gets discouraged, if she gets sick, if she's hurting... I was born for this. Instead of resenting it, I'm like a fireman. A fireman doesn't resent it when there's a call for a fire. It's like their adrenaline rises. This is what I trained for. Not that they want there to be a fire because they don't want destruction, but they're saying, But they're ready. This is my job. This is when I come to life. And when we talked about the prosecuting attorney, if we have the prosecuting attorney view, when there's a challenge, we resent. Oh, man, I have to step up for this. If we have the defense attorney, our attitude is, I was born for this. This is why God called me to be married for this woman, to help her get through. And you know what, a lifetime of saying I was born for this builds a lifetime of intimacy. He was there for me then, she was there for me then. You never forget that. And so the end goal then of relational intimacy is this, I am yours. In good times, in bad times, in poverty, in wealth, in sickness and in health, I am yours in every way. Before I'm my hobbies, before I'm my family of origin that I left, before I'm my vocations, before I'm my kid's dad or mom, I am yours. And that's the goal I think every married couple needs to strive for.
1: What a great conversation we've had with Gary Thomas the past couple of days here at Focus on the Family, and we hope that he's helped you get a new vision and purpose for
0: your marriage. And if your relationship uh, needs some help, it's okay. That's not unusual. Uh, Please give us a call and ask for resources, or you can speak to one of our caring Christian counselors. You might ask as well if attending our Hope Restored would be a good fit for your situation. Uh, This is a marriage intensive for couples on the brink of separation or divorce, or some that even signed the papers already. Um, your marriage is worth the investment. And what they do there is usually a four-day engagement. It goes about 10 hours a day, and it's tough, but it accomplishes so much post two-year survey show that over 80% of the couples that attend are doing better and still married. So it's one of those things that focus I'm really excited about. Yeah, you can call us and we can tell you more about Hope Restored, or you can ask
1: to speak with one of our counselors. Our number is 800 the letter a in the word family. And, of course, another uh, step to take uh, would be Gary's book, A Lifelong Love. It's a really powerful resource, and uh, we've got that here. Each chapter has
0: thought-provoking questions, and uh, we'd be happy to send a copy of that to you. And here at the close, let me just say thank you for your prayers and support of the ministry. When you donate to Focus on the Family, you're allowing us to distribute this great content on radio stations and podcast providers, to families around the world. With the generosity of friends like you, we were able to help more than 440,000 couples Build Stronger Marriages over the past 12 months. That's awesome. And we really want to grow that outreach. That's what it's about. If you've never donated or we haven't heard from you in a while, can I encourage you to join or rejoin the marriage building team? A monthly pledge would be a great way to partner with us. Or a one-time gift as well. Whatever you can provide. And in response, we'll send you a copy of Gary's wonderful book, A Lifelong Love. Donate today and request that book by Gary Thomas. Our
1: number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Or you can donate and get Gary's book at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.